What's up with the rise and fall of Bitcoin? Telegram might cancel its ICO. Ripple has made a curious investment of $25 million into a blockchain fund. Tim Draper has a stunning Bitcoin prediction. And we'll talk about how blockchain technology can be used to combat poor data privacy, (coughs) Facebook, and other breaking and downright hilarious crypto news. We also have Jared Zagoda, CEO of the decentralized gaming platform BitGuild on the show with us today. I'm Rachel Wolfson. And I'm Sarah Austin. Move over, Joel and Travis. The women are stealing your thunder this Tuesday and Googling crypto news so you don't have to. The crypto chicks are in the hizzle to deliver up episode number 113 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Welcome to the second episode of the Bad Crypto Chicks podcast. What did you guys think of the last episode? Yeah, let us know on Twitter. You can go ahead and follow me, Sarah Austin, your new co-host, and Rachel Wolfson. Yes, follow us on Twitter. I'm at RachelWolf00. And she's a wolf. Just in case you guys didn't know, she's a crypto wolf, and she's ready to take charge of Bitcoin. Right, today. right. And Sarah, you're Sarah Bear, right? So you're you're more of a bear. You're bearish. I mean, Rachel, I know you like to call me Sarah Bear, but I got to tell you, I'm more Sarah Bull than anything because I'm killing it with my Bitcoin right now. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good point you make. So I guess I can't call you Sarah Bear anymore. I'll call you Sarah Bull. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to save that for another time. Right. So we've got the bulls and we're here to bring you guys the news because once you go bad, you never go bad. Yeah. So here's the news, guys. The bulls are back as Bitcoin prices surge. Bitcoin prices have risen sharply, showing that bullish sentiment has returned to the digital currency markets. As weird as it may seem, the prices of Bitcoin have skyrocketed by over $1,000 nearly overnight, with some saying getting over the psychologically important $7,000 price point has done the job. As compared with Wednesday, Bitcoin has risen by 12%, and it has shown a 14% increase from last week's rates. Late this year, Bitcoin rose by over 500% in value, coming close to a whopping $20,000 per coin. However, in early 2018, the rates were not that inspiring, possibly due to the frequent reports that virtual currencies were essentially no more than a bubble, which peaked in December. I mean, I think it's safe to say that the bear market is over, Sarah. I think that we're getting closer to say that the bear market is over. And at first I was wondering if the $1,000 surge in about 30 minutes had something to do with the correlating news that came out right at that hour of cryptocurrency being acceptable under Muslim law and opening up the investment opportunity to the 1.6 billion Muslims worldwide. And so I figured, oh, well, maybe some Saudi princes jumped in. But right when I was coming to that conclusion, I remembered a rumor that I heard three weeks ago that some whales were suppressing the price of Bitcoin to force people who needed to pay their taxes to sell super low. And the idea was that once tax season is over, which is right about now, that they would let the price fly and, uh, you know, it's, it's about over. So it looks like that is potentially the case. I don't know for sure. I'll probably be able to say it's a bear market in a couple of days, but I think it's pretty safe. To say. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that the whole tax season has something to do with it. You know, interestingly enough, a lot of last year's winners are in deep, uh, porridge right now. They owe tax on their 2017 profits and they're losing money now. So it's not easy to come up with the cash to pay off the IRS. I mean, you know, for instance, let's just say that someone named Bob turned $200,000 into $1 million in last year's feverish market, trading all the way in and out of Bitcoin and Ethereum and Ripple and back in again. Now, Bob has, let's say, $800,000 in short-term capital gain to report in Schedule D. 
the state and federal tax bill is going to be upwards of at least $300,000. I mean, that's, that's a crazy amount that you owe in taxes now, right? Right. And Bob is an example of a trader who's doing higher frequency trades. But let's just look at more of the regular people who are investing in cryptocurrencies. You know, depending on how you received or disposed of your cryptocurrency, you may face different taxes. For the worst case, you might have a $250,000 fine and face prison for failure to report your transactions. So that's pretty scary because, you know, there are 100, what, I mean, there's 1,500 known virtual currencies to date. So that's a lot of movement, a lot of people moving their Bitcoin to other cryptocurrencies and and buying um, and trading and then cashing out to USD. So the IRS needs to know all of these transactions and they can come after you. Yeah. So people are being forced to sell their Bitcoin right. low right now. That's right. Just- I mean, that's pretty scary news. I mean, if, if you're failing to report these cryptocurrency transactions and you can wind up in prison, I'm, I'm just wondering how many people are going to go to prison this year for being tax cheats on their crypto. I mean, right? Are we going to see an increase in prisoners yeah. for being crypto tax cheats? I mean, we certainly could have a lot of people going to prison as a result of not reporting. But at the same time, you know, I, I guess the, the news is, is why did the price of Bitcoin surge? And we're just sort of speculating here that it's possible that the whales are controlling the market because they know people are going to have to sell off their Bitcoin to pay their taxes. Or another theory that I've come up with besides tax season and Muslim law is the rise and fall of Bitcoin could be related to the fluctuations that may have been um, impacted by recent reports over the world's top tech giants, namely Google, Facebook, and Twitter, choosing to ditch online cryptocurrency advertising. Other big cryptocurrencies followed Bitcoin's pattern with Ethereum, Ripple, Bitcoin Cash, and now EOS gaining stronger ground and experiencing over 10% rise in price since yesterday. For example, EOS is up 84% as I'm recording this podcast right now. EOS is an example of a cryptocurrency that raised a massive ICO. Um, you know, EOS surges 30%. It surpassed Litecoin and it becomes the fifth largest cryptocurrency ahead of incoming token airdrop that's coming out. Well, as I'm recording this on Friday, it comes out on Sunday. So that could also be correlated, but we're seeing a lot of movement here. So it's, it's something to watch and, and see, you know, are we moving out of, a bear market into a bull market. What do you think, Rachel Wolfson? What do you think? Well, Sarah Bear, um, you know, I do think that the bulls are back. Um, I think that we're moving back into a bull market. And, you know, personally, I think that it has something to do with tax season. And, you know, today is tax day. It's, you know, it's going to end now. And I think that the market is going to start seeing prices go up after we get past tax day today. So I think that the bulls are back. And I think it, I think it has a lot to do with, with tax season being over now. Um, that's just my personal opinion. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe like you were saying, Sarah, it has something to do with this Muslim law. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Because that's, that's kind of interesting. And our listeners might want to know what this Muslim law law is all about? Well, as the expert in Muslim law, let me tell you, I don't know. Uh, I have to look it up. I I think I I read something. There was an analyst uh, who was talking about the law and how the, the Muslim faith believes that you need to have real life, real world, tangible assets as a currency. So for example, gold. And then the theory went on to the idea of stable coins and how you can actually back cryptocurrencies through tangible assets. So therefore, it does fall on under the 
approval of the Muslim law. Um, that's my understanding of it. But, you know, I'd have to get some sort of religious expert in here to explain it further um, because, you know, I can't speculate given that um, Bitcoin is not backed by gold. Right. Well, basically, you know, just to let our listeners know what the, the story is in a nutshell, um, apparently in the Islamic faith, it's believed that economic activity should base, be based on real physical assets and not speculation. So, you know, crypto might not fly so well in the Islamic faith, but in order to get past this, um, a startup in Dubai created a cryptocurrency that is backed to one of the world's most stable assets, gold. So that startup is called One Gram, and their pitch is that each unit of value is backed by a physical gram of gold that is kept in a safe, I'm assuming somewhere in Dubai. Um, but anyways, so that's kind of interesting, you know, as a way to get past this whole Islamic law and, and make cryptocurrency okay for the Islamic faith. It's, it's kind of an interesting story, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting story, but the speculation saying, is this tying back to the reason why there was this surge of $1,000 in the Bitcoin price within 30 minutes? Is that why, is that the correlation because the news came out at the same time? I don't know. Right. Or is it, is it these whales out there who are manipulating the market based on tax season, forcing people to sell low? Or is it because of all the tech giants out there who are banning cryptocurrency advertising? What are the market factors that are creating this movement? I think that these are three interesting theories and it could be any one of them. But I definitely think that, you know, there's this huge opportunity right now and we are seeing EOS surge. I'm an investor in both EOS and Bitcoin. So it's been fun to watch this movement. Although um, I'm also wondering, you know, maybe the reason why um, EOS just surpassed Litecoin is because they have this uh, token airdrop coming out. You know, they have a lot of power behind them, very powerful people behind EOS. They have a lot of money. Their ICO was huge. I believe it was $700 million of an ICO. It was probably more than that by now. But, um, you know, speaking of huge ICOs, have you heard the recent news about Telegram's ICO? Yes, Sarah. I've heard that Telegram might actually be canceling their public ICO. Well, that is a lot of money to cancel. It's already raised $1.7 billion from two private sales. Yeah. But Apparently, Telegram's blockchain, which is called the Telegram Open Network, hasn't even been built yet, which is crazy that they've raised that amount of money without even having the technology built yet. I mean, when you're, or at least, you know, what I'm hearing um, when you're thinking about participating in an ICO, you always want to make sure that the technology is being built or it has been built and the team has the technology you know, an understanding of it. And for Telegram to have raised that amount of money and their blockchain hasn't even been built yet. I mean, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I'm going to protest that they need to go hire some blockchain developers. I mean, what is there a blockchain developer drought in Russia? Are they in Russia? Is that where they're at? I, I think they're in Russia. And, and I bet you, Sarah, I don't think there is any drought of blockchain developers in Russia. Well, that's what I think. Let's investigate what is going on. Why are they not building blockchain? I'm going to do some investigative reporting here live and go to at Durov, the founder of Telegram, CEO Paval Durov's Instagram, and see what he's doing. Is he hiring blockchain developers? Let's see. The last post here 10 hours ago is him bareback on a white horse in the desert of the United Arab Emirates. Ooh, that sounds sexy. And then we've got another... Telegram ICO. (laughs) We've got another one of him in a little Speedo um, (laughs) with no shirt. Wait, so that's... The CEO of Telegram is walking around in Speedos with no shirts, and he... But they haven't built their blockchain yet? He's yeah, in he's Dubai. Walking. Yeah, he's okay. he's in Dubai okay. in a little speedo showing off his very hot body 
all over his Instagram, but I don't see anything of him hiring blockchain developers. He's not. Well, maybe, maybe my speculation is the Telegram CEO is spending more time in the gym than he's spending working on Telegram's blockchain, which I mean, you know, I'm a fitness freak myself. I'm at the gym every day. I get it. But I mean, yeah, he should probably hire some blockchain developers. Yeah, right, well, judging by his abs, he's spending a lot of time <laughs> in the gym. So, you know, Telegram has already raised $1.7 billion from two private sales, like I just said. And now sources with knowledge of the deal believe that the company is likely to scrap its public sale altogether. So what are they going to do? Just return the money? Ouch. I don't know. I mean... I mean, if I was the, the CEO of Telegram right now, I'd, I'd be really concerned. And, you know, maybe that's a, a good reason to be at the gym more often. You're blowing off some steam. But yeah, that's concerning. Yeah, especially because no one has received any grams. Right. So, yeah. So Telegram is selling what basically amounts to IOUs for future grams under the simple agreement for future tokens, the SAT framework. Um, but to be right. clear, no one has received any grants. Right. So yeah. this, this means, as displayed by the company's SEC filings, the company is selling a security which cannot be sold to non-accredited investors, except for some exceptions. Yeah. Right. So there's a quote here um, from Anthony Pompolino, a general partner at Morgan Creek Capital Blockchain, saying, the regulatory environment is in a weird place with most teams having more questions than answers, clearly. If teams can raise their capital goals in private sales, they'll continue to do so until there's less ambiguity, ambiguity in regulations. Ambiguity. Um, ambiguity. You know, you, you get the point, right? But that, that is, I mean, it kind of seems like that's what Telegram is doing, you know? I don't know what they're doing, but I can tell you that at Darav on Instagram is doing a lot of traveling and posing in pictures like a model. Right, right. So he's bringing sexy back when it comes to ICOs, like, you know, right? But he's not, his ICO isn't very sexy. He's sexy, but his ICO needs to like hit the gym. Get, yeah. get a little, get a little abage. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he should take a little more time. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, yeah, like tech first, right? Tech first, then, then gym. Yeah. So, like he should focus on being an Instagram model and travel influencer after he solves all of this stuff with his ICO. Right. Exactly. He, I'm going to go leave a comment on his photo and tell him that he needs to get his priorities straight. You should totally do that. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll holler back at us, Sarah. Sarah Bear. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Hey, Rob, call me. Well, you know, it's interesting, this whole Telegram ICO thing. So I had the chance actually recently to meet with Jackson Palmer. He's the founder of Deutschcoin, a dog coin, douche coin, however you pronounce it. Um, the coin that was actually a joke and then it became serious, you know, kind of like all crypto. But anyways, that's another topic. Um, so I met with Jackson Palmer and we talked about the Telegram ICO and he thinks it's ridiculous that they've raised $1.7 million in this pre-ICO funding, which is actually, you know, a bit more than a seed round for an instant messaging app. And I, they don't even have the tech built. And that's what Jackson Palmer was kind of telling me. And, and he also was telling me that the system is not actually secure that only private group chats are secure in Telegram. So it's like, you know, the point of Telegram is that it's super secure encrypted messages, but actually it's not. So how are they raising all this money without even having the tech? Well, okay. So, you know, that's just going into a little bit of a feature uh, argument there. So yes, it is encrypted. It is safe. And there are so many more features on Telegram's app than you'll get on other messaging apps. So for example, if you set the message to destruct, so you can have it show only for a set amount of seconds. So I could send you a photo that you can see for 14 seconds, for example, and then it will delete after from your text and from mine. Okay. And then 
Yeah. And then other things, like, for example, if you took a screenshot, it would notify me that you took a screenshot. Or if I put it into a secret chat for a group chat, it would be a secret chat. But if it's not, then it's just like WhatsApp okay. or another app, right? So anyway, let's let's play this clip that you have uh, from the... From Jackson Palmer, from the interview. Yeah. yeah, we've got a short clip here. Yeah, my life in crypto started in late 2013 when I... Uh, was kind of interested in cryptocurrencies and noticed that there was a lot of kind of coins popping on the market every week. And so I jokingly tweeted about Dogecoin, which was really just taking the, the Shiba Inu meme, the dog looking at the camera, um, and putting it on a coin. And this was purely a joke at that time, basically trying to make fun of all these altcoins that were popping on and the fact that people would actually put real money into something that was, you know, just money printed out of thin air, right? But lo and behold, uh, it kind of went viral and it became a real thing. So um, I partnered up with this other guy who was in the US at the time. And we, in a few days, kind of put it together and released it out into the world. And so a week after that tweet, Dogecoin was a real thing. And we, again, just thought of it as a learning experience, something that would be a joke and people would forget about it after a week or so, right? As most fads go. But Dogecoin is still around, you know, and it's, it's, it's many years later, three plus years later. And it's still like a you know hundred million dollar plus economy. In December, it was around two billion dollars economy. Wow! Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, what are your thoughts for the future of this space? Yeah, well, so I think one of the, I'm not involved with Dogecoin anymore from okay. a uh, just from a development standpoint or anything. I kind of moved away from the community in 2015 after two years because um, the space, while it started off very pure of heart and very joking. Again, the kind of like greed that kind of goes along with cryptocurrency kind of came back um, with the greed kind of, you know, came scammers and came opportunists who were trying to basically fleece the whole community for money. I think sadly, what we're seeing right now is kind of a uh, hyperbolized version of that, um, where you see a lot of these companies coming out doing ICOs where they're taking people's money. And a lot of these things really don't have good development teams, if they even have a development team. It's just a lot of hot air. And so one of the, the things with altcoins of back in 2013 and 2014 is they weren't actually taking anybody's money. They were just mined, right? So, you know, all you could waste was some electricity and your computing power, right, to mine it like Bitcoin. But now it's a little bit more nefarious because you're actually giving, like, real money to these, these companies in hope that it'll net a return somehow or you'll get some token back. And so I worry that, you know, this just kind of opened the gates for a lot of these kind of fly-by-night projects that you never hear again after you put money in. Right. So before, when you started, it wasn't really like that. The space no. has changed. The space has definitely changed. The space has definitely gotten a lot more people who are interested in the financial aspect of it, um, of the how can we build startup like startups are based on something that isn't doesn't need a blockchain, but we'll just put a blockchain in it to raise money. Whereas I think early on, um, most of the development was really just focused around how do we scale these things? How do we build cool alternatives to Bitcoin? And um, now it's obviously, you know, we're here at this conference, there's a lot of people that are pitching different ideas. But even if you just look at the regular failure rate of startups in Silicon Valley, right, you say like 90% of them fail, right, after about 12 months. I think the rate of these companies that appear on the floor today, I think it's going to be closer to 100%, right, or maybe 99% of them fail. And maybe there's a few little unicorns that make it through. But a lot of them just aren't anywhere as fleshed out as they should be for the amount of money they're raising. Right. So you think it right now, it's more about just like raising the money and not even having something to back that up. Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of it is raising the money on top of like a white paper or some outline of their vision. And then they're usually planning to utilize that capital to then hire developers. Right. But that's obviously the wrong way to do it. Um, right. More traditional um, startups have started with the technical founder or maybe a non-technical founder. And then they've raised a small seed round and, you know, they've gone through that and they've been rewarded with additional rounds of funding based on their merit. The problem here is that these companies that are, that are doing ICOs are raising not just small seed rounds, they're coming out and they're raising like 20 or $30 million, the equivalent of a series uh, A or B, which is a lot for a company that doesn't even have a technology yet. Right. And you think that, I mean, I guess when you put blockchain with anything, people, it's kind of the buzzword right now. So you think yeah. that, you know, people are just putting blockchain onto their company, thinking that they can raise that amount of money in a short period of time just because they have that. Absolutely. Yeah, they, the, they're yeah. cashing in on the fad, right? They're right. They're cashing in on the fact that people putting money into these things in hope of getting rich. And, you know, some of these companies might still be around in 12 months, but um, I think the, the bulk of them are. 
Right. What would you say, what are signs for people, you know, they want to, if you wanted to invest in a very legit potential ICO, what would you say you should look for? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you should look for a strong technical team. I, I think, you know, I wouldn't even, you know, look twice at one of these companies if they don't have uh, a roadmap or a, uh, a currently working project um, or a timeline to getting a currently working project so that you can actually kind of evaluate the technical merit of what they're building. But outside of that, I think you should also just look at if they are doing an ICO of any kind of kind, they should be, you know, raising a much smaller round, like something that's more akin to a seed round, right? Right. Um, because ultimately, these companies don't need $30 million in capital to bootstrap themselves. Right. Um, so the question becomes, like, where is this money going? And so, yeah, I don't actually advise anybody to, to invest in, in, in ICOs. I don't give investment advice. But I, I think that really um, you, should treat, you shouldn't treat it any differently to, you would, to how you would if you were an accredited investor looking at startups like regular tech. Companies. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. So you had some thoughts about Telegram. Yeah. Um, could you share those thoughts? So Telegram's yeah. kind of topical right now because they've, uh, I believe, just opened their, their public ICO, but they've already raised $1.7 billion in pre-ICO, I believe, which is, again, a little bit more than a seed round, right, for an instant messaging app, which are a dime a dozen these days. Yeah. The interesting thing with Telegram is that a lot of people assume that it is end-to-end -end encrypted, like something like WhatsApp or Signal, but it's not. It's got these kind of mysterious owners, one of them being Pavel Jurov, who was a Russian entrepreneur who previously owned VK, which is a popular Russian social networking app. And so the owners of this, this, this kind of mysterious technology are, you know, kind of had to flee Russia, but their, their, their system isn't end to end encrypted. So all of the messages are kind of existing, um, only encrypted on their servers, not between the participants. And so they could, if they wanted to snoop in anybody's, you know, private messages, group messages. Um, and what's currently happened is the courts in Russia have actually been trying to subpoena them to hand over the keys to get the logs of people's conversations. Oh, wow. So you can only imagine what would happen if the Russian government get access to all these people that are talking about crypto and stuff on Telegram. And so I, I strongly advise people against using Telegram for that reason. Um, and instead advise they use something like Signal, which uses a, an open source, publicly vetted protocol for end-to-end -end encryption. And, you know, that's both private and then group chats. So I don't know why the thing has raised $1.7 billion. It's probably, again, out of speculation and greed, but um, it just seems like a massive kind of like Titanic of crypto waiting to happen for me. What about the secret chats? Are those? Yeah, so secret chats in Telegram are end, end encrypted, but the problem with secret chats is they you can't do secret chats for groups. So every group is by default um, unencrypted. And secret chats don't work across devices. And so if, if you're using your you know, two mobile devices or you're using a, a laptop and a mobile device, then your secret chat, you can't use it, right? Yeah. So most people, and by default, secret chats aren't the type of messages that are used. And so hardly anybody on Telegram is actually using secret right. chats. The group chats, I mean, a lot of these companies doing ICOs, you know, rave about their Telegram groups. And yeah. I'm in these group chats with like thousands of people. Right. And it's scary to know that that information isn't private and that the Russian government Correct. could have access to it. They're, they're completely unencrypted. There's people talking about deals, people talking about large sums of money being moved around. You can only imagine if that data was, you know, even if it wasn't accessed by the government, potentially sold to somebody because it was unencrypted. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's good to know. A good, a good warning. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and do you have any final thoughts you want to share about? No, yeah, I, I think I think really like my message to people is I've been in this space for a long time, like four years now. Stay rational, look at the facts, and, and treat these companies with an extra level of skepticism. Look at their technical merit and see whether they're actually you know can can back up what they're claiming they can do. And then beyond that, just treat them like you would any average you know tech startup in Silicon Valley. Know that most of them are going to fail. Um, and only back the ones which you really think have a strong team. Right. Okay. Thank cool. you. Cool. Well, I'm really happy that I got an interview with Jackson Palmer at the Global Blockchain Forum. Um, and, you know, speaking of hot guys, the Telegram CEO, Sarah, did you hear that the Winklevoss twins just got a patent, a cryptocurrency patent, actually? Did you hear about that news, Sarah? Yeah, I did. And it's it's interesting because these guys have been on to Bitcoin for a long time. So a lot of the media is looking to them in their every move. They got a patent that has to do with data and data transparency inside enterprise institutions. So I think it'll be interesting to see what they do with the tokenization of data 
but the patent is very vague, so I can't read into it too much. Although I also saw in other news that one of the Winklevoss twins said that if people can't envision Bitcoin being at $320,000, then they just lack imagination. And so we can say one thing's for sure is that the Winklevoss twins are bullish on Bitcoin. Yeah, they're they're bulls, all right, those Winklevoss twins. Speaking of bulls, Tim Draper, he came out with a prediction that Bitcoin will hit $250,000 by 2022. Right, yeah, we were at, um, last night, Sarah and I were at Tim Draper's blockchain block party in San Mateo eating some free sushi and and talking crypto with people. (laughs) Yeah, it was really fun. We showed up to his block party at the Draper University campus, downtown San Mateo, and he did an airdrop, which he called the Rhino Coin, and announced that Rhino was going to be his new mascot. And so I got 200 Rhino Coins. Well, no, wait, I got 20 Rhino Coins, but if I get by 200, then I could buy a 10 minute phone call with Tim. It's that. Oh my God. OMG. Hey, Sarah, can you explain to our listeners what an airdrop is? Cause some of them might, might not know. Uh, I mean, I think that everyone knows what an airdrop is. Like if you're listening to the bad crypto podcast, you probably do, but this is for the crypto serious and the crypto curious. I'm happy to give you a little bit of an idea. So airdrop, think of it like this. If you own it, they'll match it. It's awesome. And often if airdrops are announced, prices will surge. And that was what I was saying with the speculation of EOS. Is EOS going up because they're doing this airdrop? We'll see what happens after the airdrop. But one thing's for sure is that the Rhino coin airdrop was more of a novelty. It's built on Stellar. And so it was built for the Rhino coins built for educational and novelty purposes. So, you know, what are you going to buy with it? What are you going to do with it? You're probably just going to get a phone call with Tim Draper for 10 minutes. But anyway, it was really fun. Rachel and I showed up, shook hands, kissed babies, learned about some ICOs. It was fun. Well, we saw Tim Draper. We met him. Sarah, you got a great picture. He was wearing his Bitcoin tie. And during this event, Sarah and I, we actually came up with an idea that we're thinking of implementing. Tim Draper has this rhino coin. Well, we want to do the bad crypto chicks coin. Yeah. Right, Sarah? Well, yes. Yeah. So, so stay tuned for that. And we may or may not come out with something on Stellar. We'll keep you posted on the next cryptocurrency, bad crypto chicks podcast. Um, but moving right along to what's next in the news is that Ripple invests $25 million of XRP into blockchain capital fund. What do you think of that? It's time to rip into Ripple, Sarah. Let's rip into Ripple. Okay, let's um, do it. <laughs> Ripple let's, let's do it. sucks. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't think Ripple sucks. We just think that Ripple is a bit confused and they might actually turn into a Ripple in time if they don't get their shit together, right? Because right now Ripple is saying that they are not a security token, but it kind of seems like they are, although the Ripple chief marketing executive says, we are absolutely not a security token. You know, Sarah, by dangling money in front of these exchanges, it almost seems like Ripple is kind of like showing that they don't really believe in the success of their XRP token, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of like if they believed in their token, then they would hodl. They wouldn't invest $25 million hodl, hodl. in other blockchain. I know. I mean, it's like, it's like Ripple, what are you doing? Like, do you believe in your coin or or not? Because like, Coinbase and Gemini don't really believe in it. So it's like time to get with the program, right? Yeah. Get with the program, Ripple. Get with the program. I can't believe they're number three. I think I just blew up in my mouth a little bit. Whoa, Sarah. I know. I need to calm down. That's hard. That's hard. It's offensive. They don't have good technology. Sorry. Cryptocurrency is making you sick this week. All right. Well, Let's get on to some boring news. 22 European nations form a blockchain partnership. Boring. <laughs> I mean, it's not, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting. You know, they're going to allow more access to online products and services, um, conditions for digital networks and services to grow and thrive, yada, yada, yada. 
you know, grow the European economy, these kinds of things. Right. It's boring, but it's kind of interesting at the same time. Like Europe, that's awesome having this blockchain partnership and, you know, it's innovation. It's innovation at its finest. So way to go, Europe. Hopefully we can get it on the bandwagon soon. Yeah. Maybe the United States government will follow what the European Union's doing. I don't know. Right. So Sarah, let's just briefly touch on this whole Facebook data privacy thing. You seem to know a lot about it. And it's interesting because blockchain technology actually has the potential to fix all of this mess that Facebook has gotten itself into, right? Well, Rachel Wolfson, as a Johns Hopkins data scientist, I can really analyze this data breach for you. No, um, I would just say that Facebook should be looking into blockchain because it's transparent and they care about security or they don't care about security, but they can pretend to care about security. But if they really do care about security, which they say that they do, then maybe they should um, follow Senator Blumenthal's suggestion for opt-in. The senator has uh, put out a bill for stricter opt-in standards that would require edge providers to obtain opt-in consent from the customer to use, share, or sell sensitive proprietary information um, you know, so all these people, they have their data on Facebook and then that data is leaked out to third parties like Cambridge Analytica, who can then use that data to manipulate their preferences and their buying habits to move them to vote for President Trump. So that's where this all came about. And a lot of people are saying privacy is really important and there's this huge need for private blockchain because people don't really like having a clear and transparent blockchain when their personal data is part of the mix. And so there's there's a lot of movement and people are buying this currency called BAT. You might know BAT from its really famous ICO, the company that raised $35 million from its ICO and did it in less than 30 seconds. It's web browser Brave, founded by the former Mozilla Firefox CEO. Have you heard of this one? Yeah, I actually, I think I wrote about the BAT token in one of my HuffPost articles, like, I don't know six months or a year ago. Um, but yeah, it sounds like Facebook should adopt something like that model for sure. I mean, they could if they wanted to. Um, but I personally don't think that Facebook cares about its users' privacy because currently as it is, is when you go to log into Facebook, you just, when you create an account, you give them all of your data. And that's part of the terms of service. It's like a 25-page paper that no one reads through and they just click up accept start profile. Right. We automatically hit agree because obviously we, we want to get Facebook up and running. But at the same time, we're also saying, hey, Facebook, you have access to all my data and I'm agreeing to that. Um, and now that's leaked and they're using it to do some sketchy things. Um, and, you know, if, if Facebook used blockchain technology, then this wouldn't be as big an issue because we would have control over our own data. We, It's transparent and we'd be able to know what was being shared with who, which is the beauty of blockchain technology, right? Yeah. And I think that the conversation now with the developers is more of an architecture question, which is, hey, is Facebook's system too embedded as it currently is to migrate users' data stored on platforms like Facebook to the blockchain? Would this remove the potential for misuse and abuse by both Facebook and other application developers? This is the conversation that people are talking about on Twitter right now. Right. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting because I recently spoke with Eric Lee. He's the co-founder of LinkedIn or the former co-founder of LinkedIn. Now he's the founder of what's called Hub Token. And Hub Token is all about building trust on the internet. And keep in mind, Eric Lee is, was the co-founder of LinkedIn. And now he created this token to build trust on the internet for social networks. And basically what Hub Token is, it's a protocol, which is what they use when you're talking about blockchain. And it's a trust layer that billions of people will be able to use to create trustworthy relationships via blockchain technology. And it can be implemented into new and existing social networks like Facebook 
to make it an easier way and more transparent way for users to interact with each other. Um, I think I'll do a write-up on Hub Token soon somewhere, but it's, it's interesting because Hub Token might be able to solve this problem. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of solutions out there, so we'll just have to watch what happens. But, you know, a lot of people are also abandoning Facebook. Right. That's true. Well, I haven't abandoned my Facebook yet. I'm an avid Facebook user, but then again, um, you know, it's kind of, it's annoying. Like it's annoying that my data is floating around somewhere. And um, I agreed to that stupidly. So, well, anyway, let's not beat ourselves up. Let's move right along to your interview. Let's get this interview with Jared underway. Sounds good. Let's do it. So today we're here with Jared Sagoda. Jared is the CEO of the decentralized gaming platform, BitGuild. Hi, Jared. How are you? Hey, how's it going? Going well, thanks. Thanks for joining Sarah and I today. No problem. Glad to be here. Yeah, great to have you on the show. Yes, we're very excited to speak with you today, Jared, because BitGuild has been making some headlines lately, and I'm fascinated by this whole cryptocurrency gaming world, and you're an expert in the field. I don't know if I'd say I'm an expert, but uh, I- I'm trying, so. <laughs> well, you're doing a great job. So how about you kind of tell our listeners a little bit about BitGuild and what a decentralized gaming platform actually means? Sure. So uh, BitGuild is, is, as you mentioned, a decentralized gaming platform where what we really want to do is give players ownership back of their items and and kind of a greater say in the way their games are created and and operated. Uh, So the platform is going to consist of multiple parts. There's going to be a portal, which is bitguild.com, which is where players can go to play the the newest blockchain games out there, which we can get into in a minute, you know, what exactly constitutes a blockchain game. Uh, We're going to have a digital wallet that not only allows for the display of um, Plat, which is our token, as well as Ethereum and uh, other ERC20 tokens, but also the, the non-fungible in-game items as well. So if you guys have played CryptoKitties or any of those other games out there, actually those kitties or those virtual items are tokens that lie within the player's wallet rather than on the game developer's servers. Uh, we're also going to have a marketplace, which is where all of those different video game items are going to be able to be bought, sold, and traded, completely utilizing uh, smart contracts. And then the, the last part of the project is what we call the uh, essentially game incubator, which is where players are going to be able to go and see video games being developed in action, and they're actually going to get to participate um, fairly early in those games' development and kind of have a say in the the path that those games' design take. And they're going to be able to do that by um, staking uh, virtual currency. And in return, they're going to get really cool uh, limited edition tokenized items for those games when they come out. Wow, interesting. So how did you come up with this whole idea for a decentralized gaming platform? I mean, what are the benefits um, with BitGuild versus like the free-to-play game? Myself, I've been a gamer for about as long as I can remember. You know, I started way early, uh, probably on the Nintendo One and uh, DOS computer. And then I became a very hardcore gamer in both esports games. So like uh, StarCraft, Warcraft 3, Counter-Strike. But I was also a heavy gamer in uh, the the early on MMORPGs like Ultima Online, EverQuest, uh, Asheron's Call, and kind of uh, the World of Warcraft generation later on. And one of the cool things about those MMORPGs was that, you know, there's a a pretty vibrant uh, trading system where, you know, a player would select a class at the start of the game. They could be a warrior or a mage or a shaman. Uh, And a a lot of the entertainment value in the game was kind of leveling up your character and acquiring all of these newer, better virtual items. Uh, You know, those could be swords or armor or whatever. And there was, you know, differing rarity levels and some of the super rare or the epic items you might have to fight days or months or even years before you could acquire one. Uh, but, but the cool thing was is that all of those items were tradable. So, you know, people within my guild or, or on the server I played on, if I had a really good warrior item but I was a mage, then we could, we could trade and, uh, you know, a, a lot of entertainment value came out of that. Now, getting into free-to-play, we started to see a lot of those really cool early, like, open-world trading systems disappear. 
So, I mean, if you're going to play like a, a Candy Crush or a Hearthstone or a Clash Royale or a, any of those games, you know, Clash of Clans, there, there's not really much in terms of trading. Um, you, you basically work one way with the developer where you pay them for an item or you pay them for uh, a chance of getting an item through a uh, loot box or a card back or something like that, like that. But you are basically stuck with whatever you get. And if you don't like it, then you have to keep purchasing and purchasing and purchasing, which, in my opinion, kind of takes the the fun out of games. And and you know, free to play is a very profitable business model. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think it's just you know slowly over the past ten years or so taking the power away from the players and putting it uh, put put it too much in you know the publishers' hands and Apple and Google Google's hands and to a, a lesser extent the game developers. Right. So basically blockchain games bring the power back to the gamers, right? Well, it's a decentralized, blockchain is decentralized. So any centralized system, you're going to uh, have a, the other side of the coin is the decentralized system. So mm. yeah, empowerment of the users. What do you think about these centralized gaming systems out there? Well, I mean, they have their needs, uh, you know, but previously to BitGuild, uh, I founded a company called Reality Squared Games, which was a, uh, a very centralized uh, free-to-play gaming platform. And, you know, as a business, it was great. The, the company was was very successful. But, you know, a, a lot of it got into, you know, the, the whole point of operating a company in the traditional sense is to make profit. You make profit for your shareholders, um, and you take the company public uh, and whatever. Uh, but if profit is the sole motivation behind a creative endeavor like game design, then we can also, you know, we, we can often run into the issue of, are you really designing the game in a way that's best for the players? Or are you designing the game in a way that's going to make a lot of money for, you know, to keep the shareholders happy? Uh, so, so the way a decentralized gaming platform works is essentially you have one token throughout the economy. And that token is what the founders hold. It's what the company ho- holds. And at the same time, you know, it's what players use to play their games. It's what developers use to get paid out in. It's what everybody uses to trade on the marketplace. So in this model, kind of everybody's interests are much more aligned. So I don't think centralized gaming platforms are going anywhere soon, but I think we're going to see uh, some some competition coming in, you know, from, from these decentralized platforms where, uh, you know, a company like ours can come out flatly and say, you know, hey, we're, we're not generating profit, essentially. You know, the, the tokenomics are more important to us than any type of equity portion of a company. Right. And so basically, I think it's interesting because you guys have the Plat coin, which is an ERC-20 coin, right? That's correct. And then, but also it's interesting that the in-game assets are also tokenized and they also function as tokens. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the really cool thing about blockchain uh, you know, back in the old days when we were selling gold in World of Warcraft or for, for these other games, there was a very clear need and desire for people to trade their video game items for real money. And so there, there emerged this entire kind of gray market um, area. You know, you know, World of Warcraft is the biggest example. I think what blockchain allows is for players to truly own their assets. And uh, it, especially with Ethereum, the ERC-721 sto- uh, token standard, which allows for the creation of non-fungible tokens, has really allowed for that. So, you know, it, it's more than just saying you have 100 Ethereum or 1,000 Plat or something like that. But every single virtual asset can be stored on the blockchain. And when you're doing something like exchanging uh, a cryptocurrency like Ethereum or Plat for a virtual sword or a virtual armor, because it's a token for token transaction over the blockchain, then you essentially eliminate fraud and you know many of the other problems we had when uh, doing this in the, the the pre-blockchain world, I guess you could say. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a really cool concept. I think blockchain games really resonate, and it puts cryptocurrency to good use, which. By the way, Jared, I was wondering, what do you think, I mean, with the market fluctuating right now, how do you think that the gaming crypto world will influence the overall market? I mean, will it will it have an impact or what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think it will. And I'm probably pretty biased in my opinion. But uh, but essentially, you know, with the, the market taking a downturn over the past couple of months or so, you know, I, I personally believe that a lot of people have just gotten kind of put off with all these grand ICO visions without much of an execution. 
and especially the mainstream media are sitting around kind of asking like, what, what are people actually using these cryptocurrencies for? And I, I think within the in this industry, a lot of people are kind of having trouble answering that question. So my personal biased opinion is that it would be really great for the traditional media as well as the crypto community to see kind of like this killer app or this killer dApp, I guess you could say, which is some type of application out there that's actually getting used by more than a couple hundred people. And the currency or the cryptocurrency is moving through the application. You know, there's an ecosystem there. And personally, you know, I, I think gaming has the highest chance to actually execute on that. Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there's a lot of potential there. Just out of curiosity, Jared, are you are you a bull or a bear? Uh, I am obviously uh, a bull. I mean, I, I've been in cryptocurrencies and blockchain for a little while, and I've I've seen it revolutionize many things that I care about. So I, I'm long term. I'm definitely a bull. I, it might be a little bit uh, sketchy over the next couple of months. But just wait until somebody puts out a product or a game that's got you know tens of thousands of people using it every day, and we we can actually prove that you know blockchain is is useful not just for people in the, the financial space, but it, it's able to affect other industries as well. Absolutely. So only time will tell if the gaming industry is going to be putting forth the killer D app. Or not, but I think it's very probable that in-game tokenization models like gaming will do the trick. So with that, we are wrapping up our interview and saying adieu. Yeah, thank you, Jared. Jared, by the way, how, very much. how can people contact you or follow you or learn more about BitGuild? Uh, so they can check out our website. It's uh, bitguild.io. Uh, join our Telegram group, and I'm usually in there. Just pop in and say hi. Cool. Thank you so much, Jared. Thank you very much. Well, that pretty much wraps it up with Jared Sagoda, CEO of the decentralized gaming platform BitGuild. I'm Sarah Austin, and you are listening to the Bad Crypto Podcast. We are the Crypto Chicks, and this podcast is as high as number 134 of all podcasts on iTunes. So be sure, if you haven't already, to follow, subscribe, and share this podcast. And stay tuned for next Tuesday when we're going to come to you again as the Bad Crypto Chicks. And be sure to send us any tips of news articles that you want us to talk about in next week's episode. You can do that for me on Twitter. I'm at Sarah Austin. And you can do that for me on Twitter as well. I'm at Rachel Wolf 00. Oh! <laughs> All right, guys, until next time. And remember to stay bad. bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.